Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, is currently leading us through the entire Bible in a series called The Story. Now here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. What's up, church? Hey, if nothing else, after watching that today, you should just be grateful that you have not recently had a gold hook put in your nose and led to another land. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you you can leave already today and just be grateful that you came to church today. Hey, would you help me welcome all of our campus locations? Love you guys. I know they're clapping because they're welcoming you. We're all one church, many locations, so we are so glad you are here. Hey, do you like the Word of God? If you, if you love the Word of God and you want a lot of Word today, say bring it. There's a lot of Scripture today that we're going to talk about. And just so you know, we're in that part of Scripture where if you're not careful, you can start waning in your daily reading. If you, I see some heads shaking like I just called some of you out right there. You remember the sermon, though, I preached in the beginning of this series called Deal or No Deal? And all of you sat here and said, deal, deal. We're going to read it. We're going to read it prior to the Sunday message. And I know we're at that part of Scripture where there's a lot of, if you will, long-suffering. We're at that part of Scripture where some of you are reading it, and here's what you're thinking. Where's Jesus? I need me some Jesus. Hold on, because the New Testament's coming. It's coming soon and very soon. And just stay in there because it's a powerful, powerful part of Scripture. All of Scripture is God-breathed. That's what the Bible says. All of Scripture is God-breathed and good for correcting and rebuke and all of that kind of stuff. And this part of Scripture is good for us. And I found it interesting this week. This part of Scripture is also uh, incredibly relevant to the day and age in which we live. I mean, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to look around today and realize there's suffering all over the place. There's hardship all over the place. So it's very, very relevant. And uh, God has a special word for us today. If you believe it, let me hear an amen. Amen. So we read a lot of scripture uh, this week. Um, Chapter 17, it's a lot of scripture. And I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you today. How many of you love the word of God? You love the Word of God? Good, good. Well, we're going to get to it. We're going to read passages of Scripture from 2 Kings, from Ezekiel, Jeremiah, might even hit Lamentations a little bit. And we're going to try to piece it all together. And by the way, I want to go ahead and let you know right now, I'm going to give an invitation to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior right in the middle of the message today. Not at the end. In the very middle of the message today, because somebody is here today, and somebody is at our campus today, and they need Christ. And this word that God's going to give to you today from the Bible, not from a mere mortal, but from the Bible, is going to crack your heart open. And you're going to be set free today. You're going to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we get to kind of unpacking some of the prophetic words from Scripture today, I want to do some broad stroking at about 30,000 feet, if you will. And just kind of frame the books, because again, there are multiple books in the Bible that we read this week. So when I say, get it, you say, got it. Get it? Oh, you're amazing. So this long suffering that I'm talking about today comes at the hands of a nation called Assyria. Or better yet, the Babylonians. 
The book of Ezekiel, if you haven't read it or if you're trying to understand it, the book of Ezekiel is the work of the prophet Ezekiel who ministers among God's people who were slaves after they were overrun and deported to Babylon. Get it? The book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Some of you have heard him referred to as the weeping prophet. The book of Jeremiah is all about Jeremiah's ministry in Jerusalem before, during, and after the invasion of the Assyrians. In other words, Jeremiah is doing a lot of the same work and ministry that Ezekiel is doing. He is just doing it in a different location. Get it? The book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is Jeremiah. It's also Jeremiah, just like the book of Jeremiah. The book of Lamentations is Jeremiah lamenting over the ruins of Jerusalem and what has happened. Get it? Probably the last time I'm going to ask you that today. Open up. <laughs> Some of you are like, thank the Lord. Open up the storybook. Open up your storybook or your Bible to 2 Kings 21. Or in the storybook is page 231. Page 231. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and reigned in Jerusalem. He was how old? How many of you know some 12-year-olds? Dude, I got a 12-year-old. His name is Caleb. God bless the nation that Caleb might would reign as king over. You know what I'm saying, man? But in those days, these kinds of things happened. People would be anointed into kingship. And make no mistake about it, there were other people reigning behind the scenes, if you will. But Manasseh is 12 years old, and he reigned for 55 years. Now, here's a key verse. He did evil in the sight of God. Some of your translations say, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Following the detestable practices of the nation the Lord had driven out before Israel, he rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal. That's pagan worship. Evil in the eyes of God, pagan worship. He made an Asherah pole, pagan worship. As Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. Astrology. Don't get wrapped up in it, by the way. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, which, in which the Lord has said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. There he goes again. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. Sacrificed his own son. Evil in the eyes of God. Practiced divination, salt, omens, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing the Lord's anger. Go to page 232. Just continuing to read a little bit here in the story. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit. So that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. If you're keeping track, that's two times already in a few verses. The Bible, God is letting us know they did evil in the eyes of God. 
The Lord spoke to Manasseh. Super important. Underline this. The Lord spoke to Manasseh, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. Let me talk to you today about godly prophets and what godly prophets remind us of. Godly prophets, write this down in your teaching notes, in your Bible margin, whatever you want to get this down. Sometimes God captures our attention by allowing us to become a captive audience. Let me explain to you what I'm saying there. Sometimes God captures our attention by putting us in a position where we have no choice but to listen to God. By putting us in a position where life gets so hard, it gets so difficult, it gets so challenging that I reach a point, you reach a point where we're going to cry out and listen to God because God is all we have. God is a good heavenly parent and a good father who knows what he needs to do to get our attention. Parents, 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 come here. How many of you as parents? have looked at your child and threatened them. <laughs> if you do that again, I'm going to blank. Fill in the blank. Come on, show of hands. Confession is good for you. How many of you have done that? I said to my kid, did that. I said, if you do that again, I'm putting your butt out in the yard and you're going to live there for a month. <laughs> have, any of you ever, have any of you ever made pro threats and promises to your kid that you really weren't going to live up to? <laughs> Now, all of you who aren't parents yet, take note. You do not want to do that. Okay, if you tell your kid you're going to do something, that gummit, you better do it. Because if you don't, before long, your word will mean nothing to your kid. So, can I just go off on parenting sidebar for a moment? I wasn't planning on doing this. But when you say, hey, Johnny, 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 if you do that again, Johnny, one. Johnny, two. What is up with the one, two, three, man? Why are you going to mean it on three and you don't mean it on one? In parenting, you better say what you mean and mean what you say. Okay? Like I've, I've made the mistake of, of disciplining my children and telling them that if they do something, I'm going to do X. And then they do it and I realize I should have not said I was going to do that. Because it just, it, it didn't match the crime, if you know what I'm saying. You've been there? But in those moments, unless, unless it's too ridiculous, like I'm going to put you outside for a month. In those moments, as a parent, you better do what you just said you're going to do. Right? Uh, and here's, here's the, 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 the theory behind all of that. The, the philosophy. I would rather have little heartbreaks now in the lives of my children than big heartbreaks later. Okay, parents, you, that's, that's, just, that's just on the side for you today. I, I tweeted some time ago a great quote, one of my favorite quotes by Frederick Douglass. And look at what he said. It is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Amen. Are we not a culture and a society that's looking at trying to repair broken men, broken women? So... In this part of Scripture, God has warned them over and over and over and over again. You shall worship me. I am a jealous God. You shall not be engaged in pagan worship. You should be set apart in the world. I am causing you to bring glory and honor to my name. And over and over and over again, they disobeyed. 
And finally, God let them be taken into captivity so that he could have a captive audience. Some of you are here and you can relate to that. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but that's my story. And 90% of you know that. 18 years old, thrust into a jail cell because I would not follow God with my life. I would not obey the laws of the land. And God put my butt in a four by six foot jail cell where I was a captive audience and a chaplain came by and gave me a Bible. And there I sat day after day after day after month after month reading the Bible. And it might sound weird to you, today I thank God for it. He put me in a place where I was a captive audience of one. And that is exactly what is happening in this part of Scripture. Godly prophets remind us of this. Write this down. Sometimes God turns us over to our own destruction and allows us to experience the futility of living life apart from him. Sometimes God will turn a person or a people over to experience the consequences of their own sin. To experience the consequences of their own destruction. And this is going to be a fresh word for some of you. This is part of my problem with the church today in the 21st century. This is part of my problem with the church in the Western world. We have kind of turned God into this little chub where God kind of is in my pocket. I, I lean on God when I need some warm fuzzies. And we have forgotten that God is holy. And God does not wink at sin. And in our culture and in many of the churches today, let it never be so here. Yes, God is all love. Yes, God gives grace upon grace. Yes, God is a forgiving God. But God is also a holy God. And God will not wink at your sin. Nor will he wink at my sin. And do you know, and you might want to embrace yourself for this one. That there is a thread in scripture where once a man or a woman turns from God so long and so hard and they thumb their nose at a holy God, there reaches a point in Scripture where God will turn you over to your own destruction. That's not the contemporary warm fuzzy vision slash version of God that many of us operate from. But that's what's going on. In this part of scripture, God basically said, in the words of Burger King, have it your way. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from, dude. That was like, that, that, whoa, <laughs> give me a double Whopper, baby, extra pickles. And I don't even eat fast food. Anyway, um, come on, come on, come on. Have it your way. Um, 2361 Fontana Drive, Sumter, South Carolina. I was 14 years old, and I was sitting out back with my dad and a friend of his that used to fish and hunt with us, and my brothers and a few little neighborhood buddies. We just got finished playing wiffle ball. God bless wiffle ball. We were playing wiffle ball, and uh, my dad was grilling ribeye steaks. Glory, hallelujah. And I can remember it like it was yesterday, and, and my dad smoked cigarettes, which is nasty, by the way. I smoked cigarettes, too, but I quit a long time ago. Some of you are like, can I smoke? Will I go to hell if I smoke? No. You'll just smell like you live there. Anyway, um, 
But my dad, my dad smoked cigarettes, right? And, and, but, but Tommy, his buddy that used to go hunting and fishing with he chewed tobacco. Beach nut tobacco. Beach gum, peach, beach nut. I, I got a picture for you. I got a picture for you. Beach nut, chewing tobacco. Balanced and better. That is a lie straight from the pits of hell. As Pastor Fuller said, the devil is a liar. So we're sitting out back, man. We just got finished playing whiff ball, and Daddy's flipping the ribeyes, and Tommy Johnson puts a big old plug of tobacco in his mouth. And I said, hey, can I have some? And Tommy said, no, no. He started wrapping it up. I said, no, really, I want some. My Daddy said, no, no, son, you can't have any. I said, Daddy, I want some. Let me chew some tobacco. 14 years old. Or as they say where I'm from, backer. Dad, let me chew some backer. And uh, Daddy said, no. I said, come on, Daddy, let me chew some. Daddy said, I'll let you have a plug of tobacco, but you are not spitting it out. I said, I want it, Daddy. Come on, Daddy, give me that, give me that. <laughs> Tommy Johnson reaches in his pocket, opens up that bag straight from the pits of hell. This is going to take some of you back. He starts working it together, gets, gets a big old plug, says, open up. Tommy stuck that plug in my mouth, and there I was, 14 years old, barefoot, cut off jeans, and no shirt. <laughs> dad, 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 I got spit. Son, don't you spit that out. felt like an hour. It was probably only 10 minutes. But at about moment 10, I couldn't take it. And this went to, and I threw up. I had stuff coming out of my nose, man. Might have been my ears too. I don't know. I don't know. Never, ever Ever since that day have I had the slightest desire to chew tobacco. Now, whether or not you agree with my dad's parenting is totally irrelevant in that moment. I think he did a really good job because this boy has never, ever, ever wanted to chew tobacco since. Now, listen to me. Well, first of all, I need to speak to the single people. If you're single and you chew tobacco... Dude, that is nasty. <laughs> On behalf of your future, some of you are like, I want to get married. I want to get married. Really? That's not going to help you, okay? You need to cut that out. And if you're a woman here and you chew tobacco, <laughs> bless your heart. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but God was basically saying what my daddy said that day. Hey, if you want all these things, you want all these gods, you don't want to live based upon the law that I gave you through Moses, you're not going to be my people. All right, have it your way. And you'll die in your own destruction and sin. Now, I wasn't sure I was going to say this today, but I'm going to say it. And I don't have time to teach it. I'm going to let you go read it later. But if you ever wonder about what is happening in our country sexually. And you ever wonder what is the voice of the Lord on the matter. I would encourage you to read, and you need to write this down, Romans 1 later. 
Every single person here should go read Romans 1 later. Because in Romans 1, God's Bible speaks this one phrase three times in just a few verses. He turned them over. And I must tell you that I think it's the most frightening phrase in all of Scripture. When God looks at a man or a woman or a child or a student and has basically tried over and over and over to get your attention and you keep thumbing your nose at God, the Bible tells us that there reaches a point where God will say, all right, have it your way. And here it is. I turn you over to your own sin and your own destruction. Now guys, campuses, persons sitting at home watching this on the television or in front of your computer screen, I pray that God would never say to you, and I pray that God would never say to me, all right, Benji, I'm just going to turn you over. I told you I don't, have, I don't have enough time to teach it, but I will read for you the verse in Romans, and it's, it's, it's in 18, 24, 26, and 28. It's in Romans, and it just, Paul just keeps saying it over and over. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of the people. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts and sexual impurity. And a holy hush fell over the house of God. I think you can look around our world today and see areas and pockets in which God has basically said, all right, I'm not a part of that. I turn you over to your own death and destruction and consequences of your sin. If you were here last week, you know Pastor Joe taught a powerful message. And, and, and it was all about pursuing prayer and purity. Purity matters. Holiness still matters. Call me old school if you want. I don't give a fly and flip. Holiness matters. God is holy. I'm not in a popularity contest up here. It is my job to preach the word of God to you. And everything in our culture tells us it doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. No, no, no. God says, I am holy. Be ye holy. As I am holy. So I know I just got everybody's attention with point number two. God will turn us over. God does that. You say, I don't like that. If you got that point, for God's sake, please don't miss this next point. Because it actually brings color to what I just said. Godly prophets remind us when God allows us to experience the futility of life, what we just talked about. Without him, it's so that, this is key, is so that we might return 
to God, repent, be transformed, and give him all glory and praise. If you just get point number two and don't pay me any more of mine, you're going to miss half the gospel. Yes, God turns people over. Yes, God lets us die in our own death and destruction. But it is never so that a people or a person will stay there in the far country, if you will. But it's so that the prodigals come home, repent, turn from your sin. Churchy word, it means turn from your sin, pursue God... Let the power of God transform you and then use the rest of your life to give him all glory and praise. There's a, there's a destination. There's an eternal destination that God wants us to experience. Let me give you a verse just so you kind of track along with me. Why don't we read this out loud together? I don't think we've read scripture together out loud today. Ready? Go. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things. But for the sake of my which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. You guys sound great, by the way. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord. When I am proved through you before their eyes. I am proved what? One of the ways in which God has proved holy is through your holy living. Through your life giving glory and honor to his name. That is your ultimate purpose. That is why God has placed you on planet earth. That's the reason he gave the law to Moses way back when. That we would know how we are to live our lives. God is acting for his glory. He is acting for his name. He is acting for his praise, not only in the nation of Israel, but beyond, that they might be a beacon of light. And then Ezekiel, oh, the prophet Ezekiel, says these words. And I'm just, again, I'm just going to let you know, I'm giving an invitation right after this. Because some of you right now, you're you're convicted, you feel challenged, maybe you've just wandered up to one of our campuses, you've never received Christ as your Lord, it's going to be a holy moment. I'm going to give you, I'm not talking about rededications, I'm talking about those of you who are here and your heart is beating and God is calling you home and you need to receive Christ today. Ezekiel the prophet would speak into this context and he would say this, you read that so well, come on, let's, let's keep going, ready, go. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will. Hey, I can't resist it. Baptism's coming up. One of the most powerful meanings of baptism is through the waters of baptism. When we go into the waters of baptism, the holy water cleanses us, if we will. Cleanses us of original sin. Cleanses us. And it's kind of this imagery that we see run all the way through the scripture. Let's continue. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh does your heart feel old hard dirty in need of forgiveness God's word says, I'll take your old heart out and I'll give you a new heart. 
One more, one more slide, I think. Go. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. Isn't that great scripture? Yeah, you can clap for the word of God. Yeah, that's just, that's good scripture right there. So do you need to receive the gospel? Do you need God, come on, come on, to give you a heart transplant today? Again, this is not for rededication. You can rededicate your life to Christ later in the service if you want to. But this is for the person who's here and you know that you are dead in your sin. You know that you are convicted today. You know that you need God to forgive you. You know that you need God to save you and redeem your life. You need to come home. I want to ask everybody at all of our campuses just to bow, bow your heads, close your eyes. And I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Hey, if you're a believer and you know Christ, I want you to pray right now with me like never before. Pray for the people beside you, in front of you, behind you. If you're here and you need Christ, you need forgiveness of your sins, you need, you need to have a relationship with God. Your heart is hard. And you need cleansing from Almighty God. Ezekiel says that God will take your old heart, your hard heart, and give you a new heart of flesh. The book of Revelation chapter 3 says God stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks. And if we open our hearts, the Bible says he'll come in and he'll fellowship with us. He'll commune with us. He'll, he'll give us life. If you're here today and you desire a relationship with God, you desire for your past to be forgiven and your future to be set toward heaven. I want to invite you to just say a simple prayer with me today. Lord Jesus... I receive you into my heart today. Like the prophet Ezekiel proclaimed so long ago, God, I ask that you would take my old heart and give me a new heart. God, I am a sinner and I need you to be my savior. Cleanse me. Forgive me. I am yours today. I receive you as my Lord and savior. And I pray it in the strong name of Jesus. And the people of God said together in support and honor and encouragement of those who just received Christ. We said together, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, church. Let them know what, you, what you're feeling right now. Hey, <clears throat> welcome home. If you're watching this anywhere, welcome home and to the family of God. Take out that connect card later, but write your name down. Let us know you received Christ. I want to send you some information. If you don't have a Bible, we give them away free at all of our resource centers. Just take advantage of that. God is good. All the time. So, as I thought today about giving an invitation in the middle of the message, and I just couldn't end without drawing our attention in closing to a few verses in the book of Jeremiah. It would be 
pastoral malpractice if I didn't read these three or four verses for you. And then this is all I'm going to do when we're done. I'm just going to give you four little, I don't know, popcorn nuggets, gold nuggets for you, for those who just received Christ and for those who came today as believers. We're going to hit this really quick, and then we're going to sing one final song. But, oh, my, this scripture from Jeremiah is so key. To frame it, you need to know this, okay? The ultimate purpose of life is not success. Hello? The ultimate purpose of life is not success, but what, church? But what? Faithfulness to God for the praise of his name. Nothing wrong with success. I understand that we're driven by success. There's absolutely nothing wrong with with trying to use your one and only life to be successful. But any success in earthly terms for the child of God should only be seen as a means by which we can give glory and praise to God Almighty. Hello. So if all you're living for is success, success, success for your name, you're living for the wrong thing. The ultimate purpose of life is not what? It's not success. But it is faithfulness. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God formed you in your mother's womb. He's known you since then. In fact, he's sovereign. He's known you before the creation of the world. He is awesome, sovereign God. As hard as that is for us to wrap our minds around it. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, for I am too young. A young person, you're never too young to be used by God. The Bible says in the New Testament, never let anyone look down upon you because of your youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Today I have made you a fortified city an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the king of kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you. Hallelujah. I am with you and I will rescue you. Can I give you just four popcorn nuggets, golden nuggets of truth that's just going to bless you as you go? God's calling of Jeremiah reminds us of this. Jeremiah was known by God and so are you. Now some of you have been in church so long, you hear that and you go, yeah, right, right, I know, yeah, I know, I know. No, 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 no. He knows you. He knows you so much. That he intricately formed you in your mother's womb. Which says that God is involved in the womb and the birthing process of his people. 
I don't have time to unpack it theologically. It's another time and another day. But what you're thinking about, you need to keep thinking about. God intricately forms a child in the womb of her or his mother. That means you're known by God. Jeremiah was known by God. And so are you. And all of your good characteristics and all of your bad. All of your beauty and the, the, the public persona that you put on and the persona that you live with when nobody else is looking. He knows you. And he loves you. He loves you. He admires you. He, he honors you. Jeremiah was not his own and neither are you. Hey, that body of yours doesn't really belong to you if you're a child of God. You've been bought at a price, a costly price, where God sent his one and only son into the world to live a sinless life, to show us the way to die on a bloodstained cross for you. He has bought you. He has redeemed you. He has saved you. And he has your name written in the Lamb's book of life. You do not belong to you. And you don't belong to another person. So when they start trying to tell you, you belong to me, who are you talking to? I belong to God. I belong to God. I am His. He is mine. That, by the way, that will change the way you live your life. Jeremiah was not alone and neither are you. Some of you feel so alone. You're not alone. Even when you feel alone, you're not alone. Part of what it means to mature in the Christian faith is to actually realize and come to terms that God's word, his holy scriptures, his truth trumps my feelings. My feelings, just like the devil is a liar, sometimes your feelings lie to you. Jeremiah wasn't alone. and Neither are you. So even when you feel alone, you declare, I'm not alone. God's given me his word. God's given me his Holy Spirit. God's given me godly people to surround me. You are not alone. Amen. Jeremiah was called to faithfulness more than success. And so are you. Whatever it is you're trying to be successful in. Hear me out, beloved. That success is only as good as it can be used as a platform to give God all glory and praise. And I'm not just talking about for those in ministry. No, no, no. I don't care if you're a mechanic, if you're a dentist, if you're a football player, if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad and you work your rear end off at home. It doesn't matter. Success in whatever arena that is is only as good as you allow it to be a platform to give God all glory and praise. So don't be discouraged. God has us in the palm of his hand. God's written our names in the Lamb's book of life. Our eternity is secure in Christ Jesus. 
And we are making our way, yes, through a broken and jacked up and suffering world, but this is not our ultimate home. Our ultimate home is in a place called heaven where we will dwell with God and all the saints forever and ever. One, one story, my fav- one of my favorite stories of all time to tell, and I'm done. Early 20th century, early 20th century, a pastor and his wife were returning from the mission field in Africa. They had been serving God in Africa for three decades. They get on their big cruise ship, their liner. It wasn't really a cruise ship, just one of those big liners that was carrying them from the African field back home. By the way, I just, I just saw a beautiful family that all of our missionaries are back from Africa. All of them that went. Can we just honor them and welcome them back? Welcome back. Welcome back. So right where they just came from, this missionary couple, a little old pastor and his wife, had been in the mission field for three decades. You guys were there for 10 days. They were there for three decades serving God. They get on this big liner, this big ship, to come back across the ocean, and they found out very quickly that President Theodore Roosevelt and his wife were also on the ship. And they got excited at first, and and then they realized that President Roosevelt and his wife They were in first class. This missionary couple, (laughs) they were in third class. And it was all right. It was okay. You know, they they made their way across the ocean. But when the ship pulled into New York City and they docked, they saw immediately a mass of humanity celebrating and welcoming President Theodore Roosevelt and his wife back. They had been in Africa doing missionary work for three decades. The president and his wife had been in Africa for two weeks hunting big game in the safari. So when they get off the ship, they get off one area and they look over there and President Roosevelt and his wife are getting off and again the crowds are just going crazy and celebrating. And then in New York City they have this massive parade for the president. Rightly so, right? You know, whatever. But the pastor, the missionary, the husband started to get a little down, got a little sad. He thinks to himself, I've been over there serving you, God, for three decades. And the president's been over there on a hunting trip in the safari for two weeks. He gets a mass humanity welcome and parade in honor of him, and there's nobody here for us. Doesn't really share it with his wife right away, and they just kind of wander off, and they go check into a very cheap hotel. Later that night, they go to get in bed, and the wife notices that her husband is starting to weep a little bit. And she goes, honey, what's wrong? He goes, well, it just doesn't make any sense. For three decades, we've been serving God, and we come home, and there's nobody here to welcome us. The best thing I can do for you is put us up in this cheap hotel. The president's been out on a hunting trip, and he comes home and has a mass welcome and a parade. He goes, to be honest with you, I'm just a little down, and I'm a little mad, and I'm a little sad. The wife said, as godly women have a way of saying, she said, have you taken this up with God? He said, well, not really. She said, well, I'm going to go on to sleep, and I think you ought to take it up with God. So that little man got out of the bed, and he went into the bathroom of that cheap hotel, and he started letting God have it. Shaking his fist at God, angry, crying. I mean, he just, he just lets God have it. Spends about 45 minutes in there with God. Comes out of the bathroom. 
jumps back in the bed. Well, in those 45 minutes, his wife had fallen asleep. But when he gets in the bed, she kind of groggily wakes up. She says, honey, did you take it to God? He said, yes, I did. She said, well, did God give you an answer? He said, yes, God did. She rolled over and she said, well, what did God say? And that little missionary pastor said, God said to remind us that we're not home yet. We're not home yet. We're going to get home one day. And that welcome that we're longing for, that celebration that we're longing for, that joy that we're longing We're not home yet, honey. Church, I stopped by to let you know today, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. And though this world may be broken and jacked up and we might feel alone and hurt, you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. You keep focused on giving him all glory and praise and honor. And there will come a day when you won't cross over the ocean, but you'll cross over from here to there. And you'll see your God face to face. And he will look at you, the very warm one he intricately formed in your mother's womb, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in, come on home to a place that I have prepared for you and all those who follow me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. I want to look at the campus pastors. I want to just turn it back over to them. Tell you campuses, I love you. They're going to lead you in this moment as we get ready for the offering, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast, and thanks for being a part of our church family.